Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Toronto-based jazz saxophonist Andrew Rathbun on the 2023 CD, The Speed of Time. We get into this latest steeplechase project as a compelling addition to an already impressive body of work. Over his 20 years of work, he has achieved a rare depth of lyricism and compositional intelligence. We get into this album, COVID Life, The Future, and so much more. Enjoy. Hey, Andrew, what's up, man? Good, how are you? Nice to see you in person. How's life? Yeah, pretty good. Nice to see you too. Good. Hey, cool. th- it's great to catch up with you again. You're a you're an absolute regular around here on Neon Jazz. Well, thank you. I appreciate you the hanging out with me and checking out my music. Yeah, I love it. I love the new album, and I think the one thing above and beyond anything else else at this point is that it was so long that artists had to wait to release recordings and be at a point where you could actually perform this live and get back to some level of regularity. So I think these albums, especially now are really ushering in kind of a new time, a new era, so to speak. And with that being said, how did you get through COVID now that we're like officially at some point where we can call it post, how did you get through it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I almost feel like it's a, a distant memory. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, um, I was just playing at a festival in Stowe for a couple of days and uh, talking to some folks there. We all sort of talked about our COVID projects. And uh, I was talking with the great saxophone player, John Ellis, and we both were talking about um, saxophone mouthpieces. So this might be a very dry and boring subject for most people, but uh, I, I went really down a rabbit hole. I've been playing the same mouthpiece for like 20, 25 years. And I've always, I've always thought about, um, looking for a mouthpiece that had what's called like a, a wider tip, tip opening, a wider facing, um, which means the gap between where the, the reed is and the tip of the mouthpiece is, is bigger. Um, and a lot of the teachers that I studied with, like George Garzon, like he plays a huge, facing. So I thought I would start to experiment with larger facing. So I just started buying mouthpieces. And, um, you know, there's a famous mouthpiece that the great saxophone player Joe Lovano plays, which was a wooden mouthpiece. So I was experimenting with these two wooden mouthpieces from a great mouthpiece maker named Fred LaBale. Um, so I bought, I found a couple of those on, you know, online, bought them, um, had the facings opened up, um, and just went through a whole, I mean, I could, sh- <laughs> they're all sitting over, it's, I'm in my studio in my basement. They're all sitting over there. You know, one day my wife came down she's like, why do all these boxes keep, like, what are in these little boxes that keep showing up at the house? So that was one of the things um, that kind of got me through COVID. And the the reason I did that during that time is it's very, it's very painful as a saxophone player to like, especially for someone like me who's been playing the same mouthpiece for a really long time to change. Like, but because there were no, there were no real gigs, nothing, no one was going to hear you. It was really the perfect time because you could spend four months experimenting with, you know, a new setup, new gear, you know, new mouthpiece, et cetera. So um, that's kind of one of the things I did during COVID to kind of keep occupied and, you know, really experiment with some new, new sound ideas and, um, new approaches to how I was thinking about sound and, um, the kind of sound that I wanted, you know, or the kind of direction I wanted to go in with my sound. 
Isn't that kind of a metaphor for what we live through, though? I mean, there was there was a level of us that had to reinvent and had to come up with some new things and something to preoccupy us. You know, whether you were getting a new mouthpiece or someone like I know for us, we had a drive to go to nature centers just to kind of keep that fluidity of regular life going, because that was the most jaunting thing out of all of it was that we got to this point where all of these things, not one, not two, not three, everything that we knew was in one way or another rearranged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so your latest album, The Speed of Time, which is funny because, you know, you talked about how it's a distant memory, but I keep hearing people talk about how the whole timeline of that three years melted together. It's hard to kind of piece what went where. (laughs) Yeah, so that was part of the idea about this record in a way is that um, thinking about sometimes things just like, oh my God, how much longer is this going to go on for? And then other times, not not just connected with the pandemic, but, you know, with like, for instance, our kids, like, you know, we, we have a 19 year old who starting a second year at college and you kind of think like, what wow, how do we get here so quickly? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that idea of the perception of time and, and how it can just change. It can feel like it's flying by and it can feel like it's, crawling by so and that's something that i've been interested in not only with you know thinking about in terms of one's oneself living their life but also musically so i've been doing a lot of experimenting with um you know meter and implying different meters so you feel like you're in one meter but then you bring another musical element in you know either using a different um uh, rhythmic device or accents, whatever the case may be. And having another perception of another meter, like at a different layer. So there might be a primary meter, then like a secondary meter um, above that or below that. So the listener can kind of, kind of change their focus from one thing to, to the next um, um, sort of listening and, on two planes at the same time. It's hard to explain verbally, but um, so I've been, ex- you know, interested in that too. And there's some of that on this record. Um, you know, the first track has this, um, this, this um, recurring bass line. So half the band is basically playing in one meter. And then the other half of the band, like John and Gary are playing in one meter and Tom and I are playing in another meter at the same time. Now, if you're listening to the tune, you, you, I don't know if 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 the, a lay person would be able to track that, but it, it does create this sort of interesting kind of stability slash instability um, that I think anyone, you know, could could hear. So, you know, the one thing that I'm interested in too is how good does it feel to be able to have this music out, to be able to perform live? We're just, we're entering kind of a new era of getting away from being locked up and not having things come out in the way that we've been used to. Is there a level of this that's very gratifying? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gratifying every time I do a project. Um, You know, this is like the most important thing I think that I do is making records. I love, writing a new book of compositions. I love hiring musicians who are going to be able to realize that music in, in new and interesting ways. 
So anytime I do one of these, cause it's, you know, it's a lot of work to, you know, from, from start to finish to get, get these things out there. Um, so it's always, it's always gratifying. And this, this one, the band I'm particularly, um, enamored with cause, um, they're all just such master musicians. Um, and they also, you know, especially Tom, I think he forces me to play in a way that I don't normally play, which is something, you know, at my stage of the game, I've been doing this for a long time. Anytime you're around someone who takes you out of your comfort zone and, you know, forces you to come up with something new, um, that's to me a huge bonus. So, uh, playing with him is always such a real pleasure and a real treat. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. It, sometimes it's, but, but I really like that. I really like being surprised. Surprise in music is something that's really important to me. I don't like listening to music that I know exactly where it's headed and what's around the next corner. I don't want to know what's around the next corner. Um, so these guys, and you know, Gary is one of the greatest piano players and, a, and, and accompanists and soloists. And John just has the deepest groove and such an incredibly organic, earthy sound. So, you know, it's gratifying to get to play with those guys and get to make music with them. So creatively speaking, when you do feel uncomfortable, that is when the growth happens. That is when the maturity and the wisdom seeks in. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, if you talk to, um, you know, and I talk to my peers about this, like, you know, sometimes a common refrain at this stage of the game is, oh, I keep playing this. <laughs> I keep playing the same stuff. So sometimes a great way uh, uh, away from that or around that is to surround yourself with with musicians who think differently and play differently and are so are super creative. And that can, I get sometimes force you out of your comfort zone. So you're not, you know, going through the same motions and you're, you're finding new, new avenues to express yourself. So what are you ultimately hoping the listener gets from this album? Wow. That's a tough question. I mean, I just hope people like the music and enjoy it, uh, you know, on, on one, on one level. I mean, I, I don't, I don't profess to have some sort of, you know, idea of the listener having some sort of profound epiphany or experience when they listen to the music, like, Oh, I'm going to reassess my idea of how I think about time. I, no, that's not really what I'm after. I just, I just want people to have a great listening experience and, you know, be moved by the music in some way, shape or form. So what about live shows? What are you doing with live uh, shows? How's that happening right now? Yeah, I mean, it, we're, you know, everything seems to be like I just said, we just got back from um, playing in, in at that Stowe Festival, which is a really great festival. Um, so it was fun to be around all those musicians. And yeah, things seem to be sort of back in the groove. I mean, there's I don't think there's as many venues that have sort of, I think more venues closed than sort of reopened or opened. But um Certainly people are, are playing again. So, you know, we have some gigs coming up this week on Wednesday and we're doing a CD release on Friday. So, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of come, come back and that's, that's really gratifying and always nice to be out playing for folks and feeling the energy, um, of an, of a real, you know, of an audience, like a person to person audience rather yeah. than a virtual audience. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've sort of stopped even thinking about, um, 
how things were the last few years. And I think we finally turned the corner on all that. Well, and I guess another part of that is, is that there was a lot of musicians that left big cities, young musicians that were in school that thought I need to get another career. This isn't happening. I don't know when it's going to happen again, Mm -hmm. but it seems like everything's come back even stronger than it was before. A lot of students stayed in school. Lots of people were able to teach, which was a saving grace of the community. What's Mm -hmm. your perspective on how strong things are now? That's a great question. I, I mean, I think it's like anything. I think it's it's evolved. It evolved, and it's still evolving. And I, I'm not quite sure um, we know where it's going to ultimately land. I, I don't think it's going to be back in the same place that it was. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it's still it's still evolving. I, I agree with you that there, there is a, a greater uh, modicum of stability, but it's. There's still some instability. I think again that stems from the the fact that there just aren't the same number of venues. Um, but hopefully, new things pop up, and new things are going to pop up all the time. I guess for me, ultimately, it's there's a certain number of people who are uh, are going to feel uh, a compulsion to do this, no matter what the circumstances are, and they'll figure out a way to make it work. Um, Certainly those numbers are probably lower than they once were because it's just not viable for everyone to be trying to do this. But um, people, artists, musicians, they're always going to find a way to make art. Um, They might not be well compensated for it, which is, in my estimation, a massive tragedy. And the way we treat artists in this country is just, it's abysmal. Um, You look at the way a lot of other countries... uh, looked after their artists during the pandemic compared to the United States. And it's, it's atrocious. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but here we are. You know, whenever I interview Canadians, I'm always so happy with the fact that, you know, their government does really hold the arts up. They give a lot of grants. They did get a lot of good monies. Um, you know, they got socialized healthcare. There's a lot of things where they put their money where their mouth is. You know, I can't, keep shaking this idea of the mouthpiece thing it'd be really interesting to write a book to like talk to joe lovano about how long he used his and why he picked it and even charlie parker because he had a plastic sax for a while i think it'd be interesting to get into mouthpieces and horns and players and how they selected it and like for you i i don't realize that to me as much as you say it's a rabbit hole and it's dry as someone that doesn't play an instrument i find it fascinating I mean, Sonny Rollins, like what he used to do, he used to play by the bridge and he used to play with the echoes and Eric Dolphy would go out and play with the birds in LA. And there's so many levels of that because you do have a relationship with that horn. It's almost like it's a, an entity. It's not just this piece of metal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, to me, the thing is just an extension of myself at this point. Like it's so, it's so ingrained, um, it just feels like when I pick it up, it's just an extension. It just like fits. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like an, another appendage. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, no, that would be interesting. I mean, I, I guess the tricky pit, the tricky part about writing a book like that is sometimes, um, it would just get to be so inside baseball that, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how many folks would, you know, want to be, uh, reading about that. Uh, just on the topic of Sonny too, since you brought Sonny up, I don't know if you've, uh, read the new Sonny Rollins biography, but no. for anyone, yeah, it, it is 
Um, it's a masterpiece. I need to. Yeah, Adrian Levy. Uh, he spent like five years writing this thing. It's wow. It's, it's really, really good. It's uh, it's in the same it's in the same league as like that monk biography that Robin Kelly wrote, which is also a total masterpiece. It, it, it was it was great, and the the thing that struck me is, I mean, obviously, I I've read a lot about Sonny Rollins. He's a huge hero. <clears throat> Um, and I held him in pretty much the highest regard you you can for an artist of his stature. But what this biography brought home to me was he he just he just went up a few notches as a human, and it it really humanized him. And um, it's not it's not all it's not all unicorns and rainbows. It it's it 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 talks about him as a, as a full person, you know, with faults and great qualities and the, the great qualities outweigh the faults, but there were, you know, some things in his, in his youth that he was involved with that were unsavory. And, um, but man, it's just an incredible treatise. And if you're at all into sunny or if you're into jazz, it's, it's an absolute, um, must read. It's a, it's a, it's a long book. I mean, it's a good, it's a good 500, 600 pages, but it is, uh, and the notes, like, unfortunately, the, the notes are not um, in the book. You have to actually go online to, to read all of his annotations to each chapter. Again, totally worth it. This, this, this cat did his homework and it is, it's exhaustive and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful you, book. You know, um, he was one of my first interviews that like was, oh, was wow. a really, was a really big one. And I was going to Colorado this summer with my wife. We actually went back to where we had our honeymoon in 2019. And we, she wanted to listen to the interview then. She loves Sonny. And we never did. So we finally did as we were crossing Colorado, the border. And I hadn't listened to it for so long. But I was like, wow, this cat was stellar. He's so humble. It's like the higher up you go, the, the food chain, the cooler and mo- mo- more grounded they are. I, and a real quick story about him, too. There's a musician in San Francisco. Sometimes the Rolodex gets too full and I can't remember, but he was a relative. Um, I think he was a cousin. And he said that there was a time after 9-11 happened when the buildings fell that he went out with his horn and a TV reporter went up and was interviewing him and didn't know who he was. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, sir? And he was like, I'm trying to I'm trying to give a little bit of hope to these people out here and playing the horn. And this person had no idea of Sonny Rollins. Wow. And he and he literally picked up his horn and went out. And while everybody was in extreme duress, played his horn to soothe everybody. And that's the sunny way. That's the kind of cat he is. Yeah. No, he was, he was super generous and, and, uh, just so interesting as a, almost like as a Zen figure, like the, yeah. the you know, his, his values and his morality and his spirituality. That's again, these are things that, I didn't, I knew sort of a surface level, um, surface level about those types of things, but deep down, I didn't know how deep it went. And, uh, he's really a, an incredible, incredible human being. So I, I really urge all of your, your listeners to, to check out that book because it, it's really beautiful. He's, the, he's the reason him and Dr. Lonnie Smith are the reason why I came up with the idea of the Jazz Jedi Council, like all of them in Cloud City. 
right. sitting around a table and they are the deeply spiritual. They are beyond this plane of thought that we have. There is a level of them that's magic. That's so good to be around for a second. You know, yeah. Lou Donaldson, um, Randy Weston was that way. They just sure. all emit this just such a kind spiritual sense i i I have a feeling that i watched a a special on john coltrane that he was definitely that way there was a level of humanness and divinity that was ultra with him yeah the other thing i'm really looking forward to while we're on this jag of you know the titans is this new wayne documentary on amazon prime i don't know if you've seen it yet but i've seen the preview yeah everyone's been just raving about it um so I can't wait to, to, to dive into that too. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking for some time where I can sit down and just, you know, again, I was talking to another great musician, Colin Stranahan at this uh, festival. And he, he sat down to watch it thinking he'd watch like the first episode and he just like, like three hours later, he's still in, he's still checking it out. You know, he's like, it's really deep. So I really look forward to that. See the mouthpiece thing got us into a rabbit hole. Sure, yeah, of course. I love it. Always it. does. It always does. <laughs> Andrew, if anyone wants to pick up the brand new album, find out about any live shows, anything about your world, where can they go? They can go to my website, andrewrathbun.com. Um, and just you know, so I I, I picked up. <laughs> so these are sort of seems seem like they're going the way of the it dodo, be- like. I hand out a CD CD to someone and they're like, Oh, I wish I could play it. Or, or the last place people seem to be playing CDs is in their car. Like, um, so it's streaming everywhere. It's, you know, it's on Spotify. It's on YouTube music. It's on Apple music. Uh, it doesn't drop till September 15th. So that's when it'll be available to stream. But yeah, that's, that's where people can check it out. So I get so many CDs in the mail. I've historically at Halloween give kids out, I rip the tracks down I need and listen to it and figure it needs to move along its way like a library book. And the mm. kids just look at it like I'm, you know, some yeah. kind of like space person that just yeah. <laughs> landed with these things. In fact, one of my son's friends asked me one time, he was like, what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's yeah. where we're at. Yeah. You know, I mean, I still like them. I still buy I them. I do too. Yeah. But uh I understand that, you know, the, the next generation is, it's, you know, it's like, it's like anything. It's like LPs in a way for, you know, folks who grew up in the nineties, like what's this, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, so I get it. Um, but I still have a soft spot for them. I like to open them. I like to put them in the CD player. I like to read the liner notes. I like to read the, det- who's on the record, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's just a different, for me, it's just a different mode of listening. I mean, I like streaming too. I, I, you know, I have subscriptions to streaming services and, and do use them. But I, I, I find that when I'm definitely at home, um, I lean more towards um, actually pulling rec- you know CDs off a shelf and checking them out. It's an immersive experience. I actually prefer to put it in the car. And my son's been groomed with that, like, you know, just driving. And there's something about watching the world go by and absorbing the music and feeling it. It's just, it, it's, it's a good feeling. Andrew, it's so good to see you in person. Thank you for coming back to Neon Jazz. Best of luck. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll catch up again down the road. 
Beautiful. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Toronto, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Andrew for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.